70s, there was a song, and I don't remember who sang it, but I, I liked it. It was one of my few secular songs I even knew, but it was called Signs. Signs, signs everywhere, signs. Blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the signs? How many of you remember that? I thought I would just give us a little bit of a test here. How many, <laughs> how many knows what this sign is for? Handicap parking, right? Or handicap access. How about this one? No, which turn? Very good. I just want to see some of you going left. How about this? Hospital. Very good. I thought it was heaven, but then it didn't have an arrow pointing up, so I, I was wrong. Both. <laughs> Pam said it could mean both. <laughs> You're all catching up. <laughs> it's like carpet bombing over Germany in the 40s. You can hear each one, bom, bom. <laughs> You're all, as you get it all, it's funny. How about this? No parking. I thought it was something else. Anyway. <laughs> How about this one? Yeah, we've got that one, I think, on our door out there. And how about this? We've got that one on our door, too. <laughs> Need that one more and more. How about this one? Oh, I thought it was speed up. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Wrong way. This is self-explanatory, but I thought some of you might need a little help. <laughs> Pay, attention <to> this. <laughs> Pay attention to this sign. And my personal favorite is this one. <laughs> This is not a sign. We're going to talk about the signs of the times today. Second Timothy 3 is going to be our main passage. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And if you want, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. But as you're going, I just want to say a couple of things. Signs are, by definition, in fact, I'll just read the definition to you. It says, a piece of paper, wood, etc., with words or pictures on it that gives information about something. Second definition that's given is, something, parentheses, such as an action or event, close parentheses, which shows that something else exists, is true, or will happen. The third definition is emotion, action, or movement that you use to express a thought, command, or wish. So signs are meant to communicate. I think it's probably a basic overall definition of what a sign is. A sign is meant to communicate something. And as we see on those signs that we were looking at, some of them come communicate simple information, but other, others of them are meant to communicate uh, that there is change coming or that there is danger ahead, and they're meant to prevent tragedies in our life. 
Now, God has given us signs in His Word. Many, many signs. And there are too numerous to try and cover uh, in a day. And I don't have a series plan, and I don't feel that's what God, His purpose for bringing this up in my thoughts was. I believe that today, God wants us to realize that there are signs given to us, and we need to pay attention. Because these signs have a purpose. Matthew 16, chapter, or 16, verses 2 and 3 says, this is the English Standard Version, and it says, He answered them, quote, saying, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And we cannot effectively live as Christians without, at the very least, having an awareness of the signs that God has given us that are visible in our times. Do you believe that Caltrans has gone to all the expense and effort to put all of these signs up and down the freeways and interstates in California because it really doesn't matter? It's just something to do. Every sign has a purpose. Like the wrong way sign. I have on one occasion that I'm aware of turned the wrong way on a one-way street. Anybody else have done that? (laughs) Good, I'm in good company. Uh, There's a place in Modesto when you come off the freeway. (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) We've all done it. Yes, that's right. The the, uh, Central Modesto exit. There's a one-way street along, and I think it is uh, 8th, 7th Street. And as you turn, it's one way. And then you get down, and you think you found the street you need, and you have. It's just that it's one way also, and it's one way going south and west. So um, there is a sign there, but it's obscure. It's hard to see. There are a lot of trees, and there are buildings and a lot of things around there. So there are... Things that can obscure the signs that God has given us. There are, there's busyness, there's uh, activity. Plus, in that place, you're coming from the left side all the way over to the right side to get where you need to go. So you've got to cross all this traffic, you've got merging traffic, you've got all kinds of things going on. So there are things in life that can obscure the signs from us. Busyness. Uh, focus on many things rather than one thing. But each sign has a purpose and a meaning. Signs are given to us to tell us where, we can, where we're going, to show us how to get where we're going. Signs are given to tell us that danger is ahead. Signs are given to warn us. Signs are given to help us along our journey. But I don't think that we Christians oftentimes enough are paying attention to the signs. Because I think one of the major reasons that God gives signs to us, it's twofold. It's for focus and urgency. Focus and urgency. Now there is a place heading to Kirkwood. Uh, I believe it's Highway 88. Adam knows that stretch of road, I believe. Where the roads get really hairy, really curvy, and you're talking 
along very high sheer cliffs and drop-offs. There's also the same kind of roads. There's a little stretch of that when we're heading to Mariposa uh, when we were watching football games. And there are signs there that show that you need to slow down. You need to slow down. There's very curvy roads ahead. Now, without those, you could be driving down the road, at, which is straight. Life is good. You've got the top down. You're enjoying the drive. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you're sliding out of control and maybe to your death. Wouldn't it have been nice to have a sign there that said, slow down? Wouldn't it have been nice to have something that showed you, hey, there's curvy roads ahead? Wouldn't it have been nice that they were telling you that uh, if you'll slow down, if you'll change the way you're doing what you're doing now, you're going to avoid disaster? Well, God has done that. See, right now, all the way around us in this world, there are signs of our times. Now, Jesus in Matthew says, listen, you guys are able to tell what the weather's going to be like by looking at the sky. And that's great. But you don't know the signs of your times. What he's saying is the signs of our times are as easy to see or can be seen just like the weather can. If you can look at the sky and determine that tomorrow it's going to be clear or tomorrow it's going to be raining by looking at the sky tonight, then you're able to look at your times and determine where you're at. So where are we today when we look at the signs? What it, where, where are we existing in God's timeline? Where is it that we are? Well, I chose to focus, for the most part, on 2 Timothy 3, chapter 1 through 5. Verses 1 through 5. Did I say chapter again? 2 Timothy 3. I've been doing that today. I have a new humanity exposure every time I get up here. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version again. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, or perilous times is what the King James says. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, swollen with conceit, Lovers of, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. It sounds pretty hard, doesn't it? That last phrase. Avoid such people. Well, Pastor, aren't, haven't we been talking about embracing the world? Haven't we been talking about loving those who are lost? Haven't we been talking about just being open to everyone? Yes, we are. And we're going to do that. But this is not talking about those people. This passage is talking about people who don't submit to God. These are talking about people who want to be Christian so they can tell themselves they're going to spend an eternity in heaven and not in hell. But at the same time have not surrendered Christ. They're the people that Jesus is talking to in Matthew 7, 
21 through 23, who say, you're my Lord. I go to a church where they preach Jesus and do miracles and cast out demons. And because of that, I'm good. Jesus is going to say, no, nevertheless, I know that, but you're a worker of iniquity, which means you're lawless. You never came under. So in our times, Timothy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote and said, listen, folks, this is what it's going to look like, the closer. This is going to increase. This is going to happen more and more as time goes by until Jesus comes again. Let's look at some of these things. In the King James, it says there's going to be perilous times. That means hard to take, fierce, savage, harsh. Listen to those words. Hard to take, fierce, savage, harsh. <clears throat> Even on the roadways, have you noticed how apropos those words are? Fierce, savage, harsh. Maybe some of you have felt the same pressure. I know I have. I feel that spirit. There's a thing out there, and they've called it road rage, and it is a spirit, folks. It is a spirit. And what the enemy is doing, they say that everybody feels really safe within the confines of their car. They think they're an island to themselves. They feel like they're inconspicuous. They feel like nobody will know what they're doing. And so in that place, they feel at liberty to let down all restraint. They will get angry. They will curse. They will do things that they ordinarily perhaps wouldn't do. This is how they define road rage. Well, what it is, is we are buying in minute step by minute step. We are becoming people who have no restraint. Fierce. I tell you, there's a real spirit. I had an encounter with that recently. Fierce. Without any regard for what is good for everybody else. So perilous times are hard to take. How many of you feel that pressure? How many of you feel like, this is, these are hard times. I'm not sure I want to live in these times. How about this? Lovers of self. You look at the Greek word, and I'm going to give you the definitions. All come out of the Greek word from which they're translated. Lovers of self simply means to, T-O-O, intent on one's interest. Selfish. Can I be honest with you? I feel that pressure. I feel that pressure to be caught up in I, how, I, how quickly, the way I notice is how quickly I get exasperated when things don't go my way. Something doesn't go the way I want it. There's an immediate... And see, folks, I'm trying to be transparent and honest with you because we've got to recognize it's not in other people, but in us. We've got to recognize these signs working in us because we're not exempt we live in this corrupt world. And if we don't avail ourselves of the Word of God, His Spirit, His presence, these things will affect us too. We will find ourselves acting out and looking just like the world. And they won't be able to see the light of Jesus. Next thing it says is covetous. Loving money. Avarice, which is this out of control lust for wealth. Boasters. This definition I really liked. It says, an empty pretender wanting credit, promotion, or promotion without accomplishment. 
how about that? Isn't that kind of a... Aren't we doing that in the schools now over the last quarter century? Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody's doing great, even if you're failing in your subject. You don't give them grades. There's all kinds of things out there where we are... The world, Satan is so seductively and so uh, sly in his means of turning us to these very things. People now think that they're entitled to the things that God says you have to work for. You've probably experienced it if you've lived long enough. And I've shared the story of when I left the last job I had, which has been now 27 years ago, uh, they had to hire two other people to even get close to getting the same amount of work done. And when I went and talked to my former boss, he said it's because these people, and this is 27 years ago, these people think that they're entitled, that I owe them. And see, I went to my job and go to my job every day, and I know that I don't owe my boss anything. I mean, they don't. my boss doesn't owe me anything. I owe my boss a, a hard day's work. I am to submit and to come under his vision for the company. And that's how I try and do it. But do I, am I, no, I've got selfish motives too. Boasters. Wanting accomplishment, or wanting credit, or promotion without accomplishment. Proud. Showing oneself above others. Overtopping. You guys see that? Do you feel that in yourself at all? That's kind of what I call the keeping up, and, or not even keeping up, but getting ahead of the Joneses. Got to get ahead of them. You got to top it. Facebook, one of the phenomena of Facebook and the other social media is that they find that um, people are beginning to get depressed about their lives because of social networking. Because all that they see and all of their friends' postings are all these wonderful things. They're out at some restaurant. I'm so tired of seeing other people's food. I just hope it never degrades to the point where we get before and after. But people are getting depressed about their lives because they look and they perceive that everybody else has got it better than they do. Because they post pictures of their vacations. They post all the pretty stuff that they want people to know about their life. And they see nothing but this string of good news and think that, wow, my life isn't like that. My life really stinks. It's working us toward that place. Facebook has kind of become that thing where we're trying to overtop the other. Oh, yeah? You went to uh, McDonald's? Well, I'm going to go show you the... <laughs> I went to Sizzler and look at my steak. And then, well, that was enough. I went to San Francisco. Look at this plate. Look at my car. Look at what my kid did. Look at what my Johnny and Sue... I mean, it's this constant overtop. Do you not... What I'm trying to do, folks, is to show you how subtly... The enemy is at work in our culture and in us, to working us toward these very things that we would think we're immune to simply because we've said the sinner's prayer. We're not. Blasphemers. That means speaking evil, slanderous, reproachful, railing, abusive. I recently had this happen to me. Disobedient to parents. Impersuasible. You can't teach. You can't persuade the kids of right. They won't comply. They won't come under authority. 
They're disobedient. You don't have to look far to see that. It's everywhere. I cringe at the behavior of some kids, and it's not because of my disdain. It's because still to this day, I fear my dad's belt coming across the backside of my, be- my behind for doing that. Spare the rod, and I know the rod is not necessarily a wooden rod. It's the rod of discipline. But you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And we've swallowed hook, line, and sinker, the wisdom of man, and taken it over the knowledge of God. So spoil is to ruin. And we do. Have you ever gotten into an intellectual debate with a two-year-old? We've tried. Because we can't do anything else. You can't punish them. You can't tell them that what they're doing is wrong because we'll damage their little ego. I'm going to tell you what. Remember those signs? Those kids are not getting the signs they need in their life that you're heading down the wrong road. My mom and dad did not beat me. My brother, they kind of did because he was terrible. You know him, huh? (laughs) But they were wise, and they knew when to use that belt. My mom used to have a paddle, and it had a picture of these three little boys in cartoon character bending over, and it said, Board of Education. You're supposed to apply the board of education to the seat of learning. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure how this is still a great mystery all these years later, but somehow that paddle just disappeared. We still don't know where it is. (laughs) Actually, my mom found it years later. I think it was under a bed or something. But when we do not discipline, punish our children, listen, two-year-olds aren't going to get reason. They're going to respond to something that snaps them out of this selfishness, this evil that is latent within all of us. They need that discipline. And the enemy has worked in our culture to now parents are afraid to discipline their kids at all, even to tell them that what you're doing is wrong. How foolish is that? Yeah, they call it abuse. It's just the opposite. It's abuse not to. We are ruining our nation. We're ruining our kids. It's not my point to get stuck there. Unthankful, which means ungracious, unpleasing. Unthankful. You find yourself battling against that? How easy is it to be thankful? Right where you're at. I tell you, I sit down, you hear me talk about this often. I try and pr- practice thankfulness. And it takes me a long time to get past all the problems that I think I have in my life. And to actually begin to be thankful. Not just to say thankful things. See, it's not enough just to say thank you. You need to mean it. 
The attitude of gratitude, yeah. Unholy, which means impious or not after God. Wicked. Wow. Wickedness is abounding in the church. The number of men and women living together out of wedlock in the church is skyrocketing. Drunkenness. Pornography. It's on the rise. We are unholy. And going to church most Sundays. Do you see this anywhere? Without natural affection, which means they're inhuman. How many of you know that these movements, these uh, Sierra Club and environmentalists and all these are being used by Satan. Don't get me wrong. God has given us the earth and everything in it to steward. We are to steward. it. We are to take care of this planet. But there has been a perversion that has taken a good notion, made it evil, by making trees and animals of more value than humans who are created in the very image of God. It is a Disgrace! It is a disfigurement of the very image of God in the eyes of man to say that we should spare a spotted owl but abort a baby child. That is a sign of the time. There's a guy down, and this is an historic case. You've probably heard of it. Farmer farming down in Southern Cal, down I think near the Bakersfield area. Family had been in the farming business for generations, had thousands of acres. He was simply plowing out in his field. And if you've ever seen some of these vast pieces of acreage and a huge tractor and pulling an implement, he ran over a kangaroo rat, which is a protected species in California. Killed it. Well, somebody from these animal rights places caught hold of that and sued him and he nearly lost his entire farming operation because he killed a rat. That is ridiculous. But do you see that this is where we are without natural affection? In other words, what we're saying is that we are valid. They were willing to decimate a family who was just doing their job. No sense of justice or right or wrong. It's not like they were out there with their little tiny 30-06s hunting kangaroo rat. They were doing their job. There was no sense of justice. That rat or that animal had a higher value and a premium than that family did. Do you not see this? Do you not see this perverse thing that's happening? It's here, right now. They're truce breakers. In other words, they don't keep their word. That's what it looks like in these days. We have to be careful about that too. I'll be home at 6. 7 or 8 runs around. Yeah, son, I'll be there. I'll, I'll let you pitch to me right after work. Be careful what you say. It's better not to say it than to say it and then break it. It's very easy. This is happening more and more as well. False accusers. In other words, we're willing to buy into evil things said about somebody without knowing whether or not it's true. We're prone to slander. You know why? Because it's fun. 
One of the things the Lord showed me one time when I was getting frustrated with somebody, he said, Daryl, you're just, you like doing this because you like feeling better about yourself by making others look small in your eyes. You ever felt that? Incontinent. What does that make you think of? <laughs> Go ahead. Get it out there. <laughs> it depends on what? <laughs> well, isn't it funny that that is probably a really good description? of what it means to be incontinent. Because incontinent means to lack self-control. That's a hard thing. I hope that none of us ever have to experience that again at this point in our lives or beyond. But to be without self-control. See, the thing that's really bad about being lacking self-control, let's just stay within the context of what we're talking about. It's embarrassing. You humili- it's humiliating. If you don't have self-control, you're going to let something out there and you're going to wish that I had controlled it. It's all over me now. Fierce, not tame, savage. Despisers of those that are good. Have you ever been given the right act and then suddenly they draw your faith into it? How did this even have to do with anything that you're upset with me about? Yeah. It used to be that if you stood for what was right, people would rally around you, at least... If they had that fierceness raising up within them, they would calm because they would see that you were standing for good. Now they don't care. They just want to kill you. They just want to destroy your reputation. People despise people who do good. If you actually commit yourself to doing good, you will find there are people who will hate you. Jesus said that there's coming a time when there's going to be people in church who will kill you and think they're doing the Lord's service. John 16, I think it is. They're going to kill you. They're going to cast you out of church and think they're doing God's work. Yeah, Paul was one. But it's going to look different in our day. Traitors, which are betrayers. You're not going to be able to count on people. People are so isolated living to themselves because they know they can't count on people. This is our day. Heady simply means reckless. In other words, they don't think things through. They just do it. High-minded means to be blinded with pride. And then lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now that in itself, that phrase right there, is really something that we ought to take away from here and focus on. Lovers of pleasure over lovers of God. Every one of us here need to get a hold of that and watch every day of our lives for that one thing. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Well, what does that mean? 
It means that when God, by His Word, reveals that to live for Him means to take up my cross daily and follow after Him. And the way that we take up our cross is by obeying His Word, by doing the things He's spoken into our hearts to do. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to love God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. Many people, I believe, don't even realize it. They don't study the word, and they don't even realize the reason they avoid it is because they know that they would have to be then accountable to it. Not to mention the fact that it's not nearly as fun as watching TV or going to the movies or cleaning the toilet. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. How about this? Matthew 24, 6 says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. My entire life, there have been wars somewhere in the world. But at this point, my, there are wars all over the world. There's this thing called a war on terror now. It doesn't have territorial boundaries. It doesn't have military or, or armies with uniforms. It doesn't have a specific side. It just kills indiscriminately. This is the world we live in. But this is not the end, the Bible says. Luke has the remedy, or Jesus spoke in the, uh, as recorded by Luke in Luke 21, 36, and says, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What is the remedy? What is the remedy from getting sucked into all of this stuff that is happening right now? The signs are all around us. The remedy is to pray. The remedy is to depend on God. I'm going to tell you, folks, it's harder and harder to depend on God. Have you noticed the war, the intensity? It's not as easy as it used to be. It's not as easy as it used to be just to cast your cares upon Jesus. It seems there's a real powerful work out there to isolate us and to cause us to walk independent of the help of the Holy Spirit. Why is it so important, that last phrase in 2 Timothy, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Is it because we offend God by not loving Him more? God is very secure, folks. He doesn't have esteem issues. The fact that we don't seek Him and the fact that He replete, repeatedly implores us to do so and tells us of the things that will happen to us if we don't has nothing to do with the fact of how angry He is that we don't make Him first. The reason why we need to love God more than pleasure is because that's the very place that we will stay free from all of this destruction. It's the only hope we have. The only hope we have to stay free of all of this stuff that's at work. Folks, it's gravity. See, God gave me this parallel between what the work of the enemy in this world is. The Bible says that God has given Satan to be the prince of the power of the air. That means that he's the ruler. He has the authority to have influence over this world. And he does. Look around. We've talked about all these things. It's everywhere. 
The only escape that we have from that is by living to the Spirit of God. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. Folks, it's great that we're saved, but we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, the way I was described, and I believe it's absolutely accurate, is to think of it this way. When we are saved, if I this bottle here, full of, full of water, that water is the type of the Spirit. That's us as soon as we accept Jesus Christ. Now we take this bottle and we put it into a giant pool of water. That's what it means to be baptized or immersed. We are now living in the very presence of God. We are living in the Spirit, not just having the Spirit live in us. We need Holy Spirit baptism. We need to pray in the Spirit. We need to pray by the Spirit. This is no small thing. The signs are everywhere. And many of us, if we would look, we would see the Holy Spirit saying, wrong way. You're heading the wrong way. Don't park here. I didn't bring you to this point to live the rest of your life. Keep moving. The signs are everywhere. The Bible also says there's an exit. And we're to encourage one another with these words. We need to be hopeful about the return of Christ to take away His bride. Jesus is coming again. But folks, how about now? We need to intentionally pay attention to the signs. It would be good just to mark 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, and just read this from time to time. There are plenty of others. The Bible says that the love of many will wax cold. What is it talking about? Is it talking about the world? No. It's talking about people whose love was hot. And the picture of it is wax. When it's by the flame, it becomes liquid. And it's fluid and it'll go wherever you direct it. But the further it gets away from the flame, it congeals and becomes hard and rigid again. The love of many. It's talking about people who knew Christ and were in love with Him. Revelations. Jesus said, I see your works. I know you've done a lot of good. But I have still yet this one thing against you. And that's that you've left your first love. But it's not without hope because He says, Now go back and do the first works. You remember what you were like when you were first saved? When you were in love with Jesus and He was all that mattered? Jesus says we've got to get back there. Folks, we need to get back there. I need to get back there. You need to get back there. We need to fight to stay there. Because this world is designed to take us out of that place. The signs are everywhere. Why don't you just bow your heads and just... Yes, sir. Yes, that is correct. Jesus taught that. I sure can. It is a type of blaspheming, but it is not the blaspheming that is considered the unpardonable sin. I think probably the best way to define what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is is when you look at it and you said it is to resist the Holy Spirit's work to draw you to Christ. What is the only unpardonable sin that we know of? If you don't respond, and, and listen, everybody on the planet will not be able to stand, not one person will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know. God is going to make sure they know. 
The Holy Spirit will make it plain to them and He will draw them and He will woo them. He will court them, just like He did you. But they'll ignore it. That's the ultimate in blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. There is another uh, school of thought that says it is to credit to Satan those works which are the Holy Spirit's. But when I read the full context of God's Word, I really believe that the proper understanding of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to just totally brush them off. And see, folks, this is what's happening in Christians. We come to Christ, we respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit, then after that, we just brush them off. The Bible says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Many Christians, many, 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 are quenching the Holy Spirit every day in our lives. Some people are puzzled by this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And they wonder why God didn't clarify it. I believe it's because we just needed to be aware of the fact that it's possible and we need to be sensitive and let Him teach us what it is. This seems like a terribly important doctrine, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because it's the only unpardonable sin. Now, as I read the Word of God, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and that there's no way to come to the Father except that the Holy Spirit is drawing you. I know this, God is at work by His Spirit. Drawing us, not till we come to Christ, but after even. God is drawing us continually. But what are we doing with the Holy Spirit? What are you doing with the Holy Spirit? Are you brushing Him off or are you accepting His daily invitations? Now, I, I don't know what to make of Matthew seven twenty one to 23, honestly. Because he's talking to people who are churchgoers. People who've said the sinner's prayer. And people who are involved in ministries that preach Jesus, do miracles, and cast out demons. And Jesus said, it's not enough. How do you know? How do you know? I don't know for you, and you don't know for me. And we don't even know for ourselves. Spirit that searches the heart. Man doesn't even know his own heart because the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. We need the Holy Spirit. I'm not eternal security. I just, I don't, I can't come to that place where I believe that once you accept Christ as your Savior, that you just lose that uh, free will. But I'm a lot closer to that than I am that slippery slope to hell where if you do something wrong, you know, you're. You're going to be vaporized in that moment. No, I don't believe that. Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. He's not willing that any should perish. But I can't sit here and and the way God teaches on these various things allow us to think that we can just go easy. We've said the sinner's prayer, and this is what's being taught in the church. I'm a Christian. I said the sinner's prayer. I go to church, but there's no change. There's no transformation. I'm still doing the same things I did before I came to Christ. I am not a follower of Christ. A follower is someone who is moving. Most people in the church are still at the doorstep where they came in and they haven't moved an inch. Jesus said, if you would follow me, you must what? First thing, we all love this, right? Deny, thank you, Larry. Deny yourself. Now think about all the... Have you ever wondered why 
God, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. And then he says, if you love you, keep my what? Commandments. What's the deal? Is it grace or what I do? Yes. It is. Second Peter. Peter writes and says, work hard to prove that you're called. First Peter, or Second Peter 1. Work hard to prove that you're called, that you are who you say you are. Why is it important? Because it is in that work that we put to death the flesh that would rule. If we don't work the word, the world will work us. You can guarantee there's no middle ground. And I'm not going to try and sit here and tell you this is what it looks like. You can be assured that you're going to heaven at this, and you can be listen. Put your faith in God, and you will go to heaven. But putting your faith in God is more than a one-time event. It's a lifestyle. Putting your faith in God means you find out what's in His Word. I actually believe that He's God, and I believe He's left His instructions, and I'm going to build my life here. But we don't do that. We're too busy. We're 2 Timothy 3. What is blasphemy? I think it's a bigger concept. than We want to pinpoint, what's the, what's the one thing that I have to do to avoid so I don't find myself in hell? To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to discredit, to dishonor, to disrespect. And Christians are doing this every day. They're dishonoring the Holy Spirit. One of the things I noticed with the youth as a involved in sports and the various things is that I like to say hi and be friendly and they'll just say good job and they'll just dog me walk right past me no respect at all no respect that's what we're doing to the Holy Spirit he says hey how you doing hey I want to spend some time totally disrespecting the Holy Spirit now I don't believe that any one event is going to cause us to fall off the brink into hell. But I have to tell you, we have to choose. This world is a, what do they call those things at the airport? Those walkways? The conveyor, yes. The conveyor belt, yes. The world is, is a conveyor belt. You don't have to do a thing, and you're going to go where it takes you, which is to death. Now, you can make progress in this world, but you've got to work hard. You've got to run to do as much as it would take to walk because you're going against the grain. And this is the thing we don't want to deal with. We want a comfortable Christianity, a Christianity without cost or sacrifice. But folks, the sacrifice isn't to save you. It's to keep you. Sacrifice is to cause you to grow in Christ, to limit the range and the power of your own wicked flesh so that the Holy Spirit can rule. We need to work hard, but not to be saved. We need to be, work hard to be holy. To let the holiness of God manifest in us. And I know we will be talking more and more about holiness. Because the Bible is very clear. Here's one of those places where God is emphatic and clear. Be holy because without holiness, no one will see God. Holiness means being set apart. Are you being set apart? We are a multifaceted organism as human beings. 
There are many parts to our life, and the Holy Spirit is going to put his finger on a part at a time and say, I want that now. You want this? Okay, God. So he takes that. I let him have it. He puts it there. Get a little rest. And he comes over here and says, now I want that. Again? Okay, I'll give that to you. And we go through the process of learning how to turn that over to him. Get a little break. Then he comes back and says, now I want this. Okay, wait a minute. That's getting bigger and more costly. I'm going to have to think about this one. So sometimes we get bogged down in trying to weigh that. Do I really want to? I think I want to. So we don't deal with it. So for years, we won't deal with it. We're not going to go any place until we take that thing and say, okay, God, I give it to you. And we let him take us through the process. Folks, this is what it means to be believers. Second Timothy shows us what a world looks like of people who've abandoned and have given up hope of good. Let's pray. Thank you.